If you would take your Bibles this morning, I want to address our three graduates and their families and all of us who are here this morning. This, uh, this message is not just for a certain few, it is for all of us from the pulpit to the pew. I want to minister this morning on four lessons learned in the school of life. Four lessons learned in the school of life. Turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. And we'll start reading with verse 11. Most all of us have... uh, read this and are familiar with it. God has something to speak to us this morning out of this wonderful story that Jesus taught us about. Luke 15, verse 11, And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, and he took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Father, speak to our hearts this morning by the Spirit of God. Minister to us and challenge us each to live our lives the best that we possibly can for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be your children and in inviting us into the kingdom of God. I pray, Lord, this morning if there's anyone in this room who is yet to make life's greatest decision to make Christ the Lord of their life. I pray that before the amen is pronounced over this meeting, that they in their heart of hearts 
will decide to receive Christ as their own personal Lord and Savior. We thank you for it in his most blessed name. Amen. Amen. Taken from the story of the prodigal son, Jesus taught some very powerful lessons about life choices that we make and the consequences of, that ch of those choices. Wrapped all around this story of choices and consequences is the wonderful, forever love of God. Isn't it wonderful to realize that even when we make mistakes, when we make bad choices, when we step in a direction that is not God's for our life, that the Lord never forsakes us, that he never forgets us, and that most of all, he never fails us. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. This morning, as we consider on this graduation day, this story, let me give you four lessons that this beautiful parable teaches us. Number one, it teaches us the lesson of uncontrolled cravings. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, the writer says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. That passage of Scripture is trying to challenge every one of us who live life to understand that we must take charge of our lives and we must rule over every area of our life and truly and the only way that we can possibly do that is with the help of Jesus Christ. A man who cannot rule over his own spirit. I think every one of us who have breathed air for any length of time understand that we have desires that sometimes they become cravings that even they move beyond that and become lustful every one of us in this room have to deal with the pulling and the yearning of our flesh it's connected to this world in a very rudimental way and it will bring us to a place of wreck and ruin if it is not lorded over and controlled. That's why Paul tells us in the, in the Word of God, in the book of Galatians, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's why he tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 to be filled with the Spirit so that we will be controlled and lorded over and ruled by God's designs and not by our own fleshly designs. In the Word of God, choices are so very important, and choices will govern our cravings. 
I don't know about you, but I like ice cream. Is it obvious to you that I like ice cream? I, I love ice cream. I especially love bluebell ice cream and the homemade vanilla. And if you want to put strawberries on it or if you want to put chocolate syrup on it or if you want to put caramel syrup on it, it doesn't bother me. I will eat it in any regard. I like homemade vanilla by Bluebell. Do you? Okay, invite me over and we'll eat some together. Is, is that my body sometimes tells me I really would like to eat that. And my wife says, no, you can't eat that. You know, that's, that's not good for your sugar level. That's not good for your body. That's not good. You've had too much already today. And like a little child, she has to take control. Well, honestly, all of us are like that in so many different ways. Is that our flesh says, we want to do this. The flesh says, yes, that's available. Take hold of it. And so our, our cravings must be controlled by our choices. Everybody say our cravings must be controlled by our choices. That's good. In the Word of God, there are so many poignant examples. Do you remember the story... The Bible simply calls this man the rich fool. Right? Wave your hand at me if you remember that story. He's called the rich fool. You remember what the Bible says about him? That, that he had really been blessed in life and that he, he was coming to a, a stage in his life where he was going to retire and, 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 and man, his fields brought forth great harvest and he decided that he was going to tear down the barns that he had and the silos that he had for storage. He was going to build bigger barns and bigger silos and he was going to fill them full with the extravagant harvest that he had and he said to himself, now, soul, you have much stuff, many things laid up for many days. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And that night, that very night, I don't know if it was the first night of his official retirement or the first night that he had uh, planned and, and, and made these things happen, but the Bible says that night his soul was required of him. And the Bible calls him a fool. That's a strong word. But it only has its roots in behavior. And that behavior is foolishness. And it is a foolish thing when we make a final choice concerning what is most important in life. What is most important in life, this man decided that his pleasure was more important to him than his standing with God. And so that night he was called out into eternity and stood before the Lord to give an account of the things that he had done. The fatal choice of Samson. Samson was 
a type of a spirit-anointed individual. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit would come upon him at different times and would mightily anoint him. You remember, he, he tore a lion into shreds. He, he carried the gates of a city. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that was beyond the city. He slew a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. But Samson had a craving. And his craving was a sexual craving. And, and he didn't control it at all. And the Bible said one day he made that fatal choice to go down to the valley of Sorek. And Sorek in the original language means a bright red light. And it refer, refers to a, a, a prostitution district. That's where we get red light district from. And he went down to the valley of Sorek and he, remember, became associated with Delilah. And of course, she stole from him the secret of his great power, his covenant with God. And he made that fatal choice. Fatal choice. The rich fool made a final choice. Samson made a fatal choice. And it destroyed his ministry and his life. And then there is the folly of the choice of Absalom. Absalom was one of the sons of David and Absalom decided to become king himself and he started a rebellion and as a result his father was driven from the throne of Jerusalem and he had to take refuge out in the wilderness and, and Absalom became king for, for a little while. But the Bible says there came a, a day when uh, the, the armies of David rose up against Absalom and Absalom was put to flight and you remember he died that ignominious death. He was riding upon his horse and uh, he went under a, the bough of an oak tree and his long blonde hair got caught up in the oak and he was left there hanging and Joab and his men came along and they pierced him through with a spear. They threw him into a pit and threw rocks upon him. David wept and cried, O Absalom, O Absalom. The folly of fame and fortune. The folly of living in rebellion. The folly of trying to do things always your way. Uncontrolled cravings. I remember I heard the story of, a, of an alcoholic and a scientist. And the scientist was trying to prove to the alcoholic that it wasn't good to drink alcohol, what it could do to your body. And the scientist said, I want you to watch. So he, he took two jars. One of them he put alcohol in. The other he put water in. And he took two earthworms. And one earthworm he dropped into the water. And the little earthworm just swam around and was doing fine. He dropped the other earthworm into the jar of alcohol and it just immediately shriveled up and died. 
And the scientist looked at the alcoholic and he said with a very stern voice, now what does that show you? And the alcoholic said, if you drink alcohol, you won't have worms. <laughs> He'd missed the point, hadn't he? Sometimes our cravings make us miss the point. Sometimes we think we're fine until there is a consequence for the choice that we've made. Number two, the second lesson that we learn in the story of the prodigal son is the lesson of unruly crowds. Everybody say unruly crowds. Now there is much hoopla today about peer groups. And all of us have peer groups from the time that we're born to the time that we die. We all have peer groups. And especially during that age from 13 to 18, peer groups become very, very important to us. Who we're hanging with, who our friends are, uh, the activities that we're involved in. All of those things are, are really mentored by our peer groups. And in the story of the prodigal son, the Bible says he associated himself with a group that lived riotously in a foreign country. You see, the prodigal son moved away from home and he said, I'm tired of dad's rules. I'm tired of dad's regulations. I'm tired of all the things that I have to do at home. If I can just get out on my own, everything will be wonderful. And so he took his part of the inheritance and went his way. And you know the story. The Bible tells us he lived fine for a while. But when the money ran out and the good times were over, he found out that he had nobody that loved him anymore because the good times had ended and no more money was flowing. The party had come to a screeching halt. And he joined himself to a farmer who raised hogs. And for a Jewish boy, that was about the lowest job that you could ever have to feed swine as a young Jewish man. But that's what he found himself doing. And he was there because he had let his peer group lead him to make terrible, terrible choices. Sometimes, unbeknownst to us, we are being led astray because of those that we associate with. The Bible says, will a man take a hot coal into his bosom and not be burned? The Bible tells us that evil communication corrupts good manners. In 1 Corinthians, what are you saying, pastor? I'm telling you that there are unruly crowds in life. And they're all howling mobs. And some of them are telling us to do good things. The church, the word of God, Jesus Christ, fellow believers. What does the Bible say? That we should join ourselves together with people of like precious faith. And it also tells us that we should provoke each other to good works. That's just a real fancy way of saying I want to live my life in such a way that I challenge you to live for Jesus just like I do. Paul said it like this, follow me as I follow Christ. Every one of us should be that kind of peer group. 
Every one of us should be that kind of peer influence. But there are unruly crowds in the world who are howling at us to make terrible decisions. In Matthew chapter 27, verses 22 through 24, you remember there was a howling mob at the crucifixion. And the Bible tells us about that story. Pilate said, this is a good man. I can't find anything wrong with him. I, I, I just can't prosecute him like you want me to. And, and they said, crucify him, crucify him. And the pressure was so intense until Pilate finally succumbed. And he said, I washed my hands of this innocent man's blood. And he turned them over to the crowd and to the soldiers to be crucified. Something can sit on your shoulder so long and holler in your ear so long. The crowd can be merciless in its hollering and in its screaming and in its yelling, desiring you to follow their course of action. But I tell you, friend, we have to decide that we are going to fight the unruly crowd. Because the unruly crowd is there only to destroy us. It is the enemy that is trying to get us to live a way that we were not raised to live. I remember growing up in my South Arkansas town, Camden, Arkansas. I played football. I was a jock and uh, enjoyed playing football, baseball, basketball, ran track. As captain of my football team my senior year. But I was a Christian, and I loved Jesus, and I was called to preach. Matter of fact, my nickname was Preacher. Isn't that unusual? And I loved my friends, too, and I loved my, my, my football buddies. And I would run with them, and we would go, and <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but I grew up in a little town about the most most uh, exciting thing we did was on Friday nights after the football game, we'd get in our cars if we had one, or we'd get in somebody's car who, if they had one, our buddy's car, and we'd drive around the Sonic. Anybody ever drive around the Sonic? I tell you, that's an exciting, exciting thing. And uh, then, then about 11 o'clock, things would get serious, and they'd break out the booze. And that was my signal for me to leave. And they all knew it. And you know what? They got to the place where they'd say, Mike, they're fixing to break out the booze. I'd say, okay, I'll see y'all later. I lived my life like that. Didn't miss a thing. My brother went along with the crowd. And for several years, he drank really, really bad. Alcoholism runs in my family. My grandfather, my mom's dad, was an alcoholic for 50 years. My brother followed in his footsteps. And I've seen him many, many nights come in just as drunk as he could be, push my mother around, say unkind things, break her heart run to the bathroom and pay homage to the porcelain god. Throw his guts up. 
There's nothing sadder than to see a young person with their arms hugging a commode and throwing their guts up. Nothing sadder. Nothing sadder than to see somebody who loved their mom with all their heart and then to let that monster of alcohol cause them to curse her and swear and hit at her. Are you listening to me this morning? The crowd wants to mess your life up. God help us to hear the voice of our blessed Savior. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I gotta hurry. Number three, we learn the lesson of unalterable consequences. Galatians chapter six, verses seven and eight says, God is not mocked. Matter of fact, one translation says it like this, God cannot be mocked. You may want to, you may try, you may throw word slurs at heaven, but you can't mock God. Because what is truth is truth. You can't mock God. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. In farmer's terms, that simply means whatever kind of seed you put in the ground, that's the kind of harvest you're going to get. If you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you shall of the Spirit reap life eternal. Some things are unalterable. There are consequences for our choices. Many people go to church, and this is the way they are. Saturday night, they sow wild oats. Sunday morning, they pray for crop failure. Doesn't work that way, does it? Life is full of options. Full of options. Good and bad options. Remember the story of a man who was hired to grade potatoes out in Idaho, and when the when they would bring the potatoes in, they'd put them on a conveyor belt, and they were all sizes, and he had to grade them A, B, or C. And about after, after he took the job, he, he worked for a couple of hours, and then he just threw up his hands and he quit. And, and, and the boss went to him and said, man, said, said, what in the world's going on? You were doing a good job. said, what's the problem? He says, is the job too hard for you? He said, no, it's not the job. It's the choices. They're killing me. A, B, C. Okay, don't do that one again. That flopped. Half the congregation was asleep. No, no. Unalterable consequences. There are choices that we make that, that we just can't change what's going to happen after we set them into motion. That's why young people, that's why older adults, that's why we need to be so careful about the choices that we make. Life is a series of choices, not chances. Destiny is determined by choices. It is not chance that makes us end up where we end up. 
Life is a series of choices. I remember this hillbilly dad who called his sons together and they said, he said, guys, we got a problem. Somebody, one of you, pushed the outhouse into the creek. And I said, I want you to stand up right now as a man and just admit that you did it. Nobody make a word. Nobody, nobody. From the oldest to the youngest, not a one. Not a word. The father said, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. So George Washington, his father, asked him, did he cut down the cherry tree? And George Washington said, I cannot tell a lie, Dad. I cut down the cherry tree. And instead of whipping him, his father rewarded him because he told the truth. About that time, the youngest little boy raised his hand and said, Dad, I did it. I did it. And at that very moment, the father picked up a boy, and I mean, he just wore him out. Wore him out. And when he got through whipping him, he, he, he set him down. And the, the little boy, through tears, said, Dad, you told me that George Washington's father didn't whip his son. He rewarded him for, for telling the truth. He said, yeah, but George Washington wasn't sitting in that tree when he p- cut it down either. <laughs> there are some unalterable consequences to the choices that we make. We must, we must make good choices to avoid horrible consequences. The rich young ruler either chose Jesus or materialism. And the rich young ruler chose materialism. Rejected Christ because he was wealthy. He loved his riches. Lot chose pleasure over the high plains. The prodigal son chose a foreign country over his father's house. And all of those choices had inevitable and unalterable consequences. God help us to realize that every choice we make is either going to produce something good in our, bad, in our lives or bad in our lives. Fourthly, the last lesson we learn from this story of the prodigal son is that we learn the powerful lesson of an unfailing Christ. I told you in the beginning, this story is about choices and consequences, but it's all enveloped with the love of God. In this story, you read about a father who lets his son make that terrible choice and leave his home. And he knows what's going to happen. He's out in the foreign country. He's out living a riotous life. He knows it's going to end badly. 
But his father never takes his eyes off of that dusty gravel road, if you will. He saw his son go off in the horizon. And every day, dad would look out that way and say, I believe in his heart, the day will come. My son will come home. You know the story, the prodigal son wasted all of his living. Everybody deserted him. He's feeding the hogs. He couldn't be satisfied trying to eat hog food. Nothing he did was working. It was horrible. And so in the midst of his trouble, and I tell you this morning, friend, if you've got a child that's away from God, if you've got a spouse that's away from God, if you've got someone who you love and care about, a friend who's away from God, I want you just to know that God is so foundationally faithful that He will take the dilemma in our life, He will take the trouble in our life, He will take the hog pen in our life, and He will use it to preach to that person we love. The prodigal son heard the gospel, recognized the love that he had rejected. Where? In the hog pen. The Bible says, and he came to himself. And he said to himself, my father's hired servants have plenty to eat, and here I am starving to death. My father's servants have a nice warm bed to lay in, and I have no place except this hog pen. I will arise and go to my father's house. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah this morning. God is able to bring us to a place of decision, even if it is a hog pen. We can be so bogged down in our living, so messed up in our mistakes, that we sometimes, people say, there's no turning back. You'll never change. Have you heard that? Well, I'm just here to tell you that God is so faithful, that God is so loving, God is so forgiving, God is so full of mercy, that even in the hog pen, He'll preach to us. And the young man came to himself, and he said, I'm going back home. And he started making his way back. He had left in the best suit of clothes that money could buy. And he came back now in rags. Smelling like the hog pen. Tainted of the muck and the mire of the life that he lived. And instead of running as he did when he left, he's dragging his feet. And he's thinking all the while, my father, what's he going to say to me? What's he going to do? I know he's going to be vengeful. I know he's going to point his finger at me. And I know he's going to say, you're not worthy of the house. The Bible says when he was a long ways off. Way down the road on his way back. Come on, somebody, help me. A long way from home. The Bible says the father saw him. How could the father see him 
when he was so far away because father's eyes had never left. Father's eyes had never left their gaze on that road. He's coming home. He's coming back. My son's going to be found. My son's going to be restored. That was his hope. That was his belief. That was what he felt. And the Bible says when he was a long ways off, he ran to him. I'm telling you, if you'll take one step toward God, God will take a hundred toward you. If you'll just utter his name, Jesus will come running to you. And when he was afar off, the father saw him. And the Bible says he had compassion on him. He was moved with love and he ran to where he was. He didn't wait for the sun to get there. He ran to where he was. And the Bible says instead of a pointed finger in his face, he, the father embraced him and hugged him and kissed him. Hear me this morning. We learn from the story of the prodigal son that we can make terrible choices, that there are horrible consequences, that there are unruly crowds that want to enjoin us to ruin and wreck. But there is a father who always loves us. I want you to know this morning, you that are graduating from high school and you that are beginning to live life somewhat on your own, don't you ever forget when life gets really hard. The crowd may abandon you. The choices may haunt you. But there's a God who says, I love you. There's a God who says, I love you. And he'll never forsake you. And he'll never fail you. Let's pray.